Welcome to Drunk AF, the podcast exploring a world of awesome, interesting, cool, successful people who are using a different relationship with alcohol to make themselves even more awesome and successful. AF stands for alcohol free. It also stands for as fuck. And it's your call on whatever you want it to mean. I'm your host, James Herman, and today I'm joined by someone who I'm going to describe as prescient AF because she chose to become alcohol-free way before it was fashionable. Lotta Dan is her name. She started drinking at age 15, trained as a journalist at age 18, and spent the next 20 years perfecting both skills. She built a successful career as a TV reporter, producer, and director while simultaneously developing a remarkable aptitude for drinking a lot of alcohol. Lotta became a household name when she confessed on national television in 2014 that she had a drinking problem. Her story on TVNZ's Sunday program struck a chord with thousands of women around the country. There she was, an apparently successful woman, a journalist and a mother of three boys, married to TVNZ's political news hunk Corin Dan, admitting she was an alcoholic. Then she literally wrote herself sober. Her blog, Mrs. D is Going Without, began as a sort of personal diary, but to her surprise, people began commenting on it and telling her about their own struggles with alcohol. Things snowballed from there. The blog became a book of the same name. Then a second book followed, Mrs. D is Going Within, and then a third, The Wine O'Clock Myth. And Lotta has never returned to drinking. Lotta grew up in Christchurch, the second of four sisters. Her dad, leading QC Chris McVeigh, was famed for his role in the iconic Kiwi satirical show, A Week of It. The show made stars of David McPhail and John Gadsby, and McPhail is Lotta's godfather. She now manages the highly successful online community Living Sober from her home in the hills of Wellington, which she shares with her husband, sons, and a black Labrador who presumably doesn't drink either. Lotta, it's great to have you with us. Welcome. What an introduction, James. Hi. What an introduction. Um, how are you? How's your day going? Pretty good. I was just lying on the sofa watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills before this call. Amazing. Are any of them sober? No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you're a Housewives fan like I am, you'll know that a lot of them drink a lot and that adds to the drama, which is what we want in reality TV, but no. Yeah. Sober. Yeah. Are any of them alcoholics? Very loaded term there, and I would not want to be the one to label them. No, no. Well, it does. I mean, it's interesting because it does feel like there's a blurry line between being a kind of regular parent and having a few drinks in the evening and being an alcoholic. And by some definitions, we're kind of almost all alcoholics. Whoa. How do you think about what's what's your definition of being an alcoholic? There is no definition of being an alcoholic, and the label itself is really not useful because it's very binary it's either you are or you aren't and that's not how addiction works you know addictions on a spectrum and it's all about the negative impacts on your life so you might say someone's a regular you know have a few wines in the evening but those few wines might actually be having quite a significant impact on their life so it's really up to the drinker to kind of self-identify and sometimes that involves getting help to you know have a look at whether it's actually problematic or not. And you decided that it was problematic at a point. And you tell a story about your husband taking the kids to Scouts and you downing a bottle of wine and then hiding the bottle in the recycling. And I'm curious about how long the drive was to Scouts and therefore how quickly you managed to get through that whole bottle of wine. 
So the scouts meeting was an hour long. Um, the drive was about 10 minutes. So, you know, it was an hour, 20, hour 30 all up. But, um, I mean, I would have easily sculled the bottle in that time. I can remember actually, not that last night of drinking, but not long before that, I remember vividly one night standing at the kitchen bench having downed a, a bottle of wine pretty quickly. And I vividly remember standing there and thinking, I've got a whole bottle of wine in me and I can hardly feel it. Like it hadn't even touched the sides. And maybe wow. that's because the, uh, the alcohol hadn't filtered through to my system fully or maybe I was, you know, pretty soaked in it, which I was at that time. But, yeah, it wasn't unusual for me to drink a lot fast. Yeah, wow. That's quick work. Was it, was it good wine? Was it good bottle? No. No, gosh, no. I used to go to the supermarket or the bottle shop, walk in, drop my eyes to the bottom shelf, pick up a $12 bottle of some crappy red. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't sober curious, James. I was a hardened problem drinker. I, you know, I hit it hard and fast. I wanted to get it in me. I didn't care what it was. I really had a big problem. So it wasn't about a nice drop of, you know, Merlot. It was just just get it in my body as fast as I can. It wasn't it wasn't fun. Wow. How long did you how long did you think or did you uh, I don't know, I guess sort of realize that it was a problem before you took the decision to stop? So I reckon I had 4 or 5 years of that inner dialogue. And it, that's, you know, largely what addiction is, is that inner dialogue of that little voice that's worried and that big voice saying, it's all fine, it's all normal, everyone does it. Little worried voice, is this normal? Am I drinking too much? I reckon I had that back and forward for four or five years. I re and then the last sort of two or three years of my drinking, I tried and tried and tried every trick in the book to moderate and control because I was utterly terrified at the thought of quitting. Like I didn't, I loved wine. I loved it. It was, it was my thing, right? I was fun drinking lotter. Like who am I if I take it away? Who doesn't drink alcohol in this world? So I tried and tried for two, three years um, to, to, to not drink. And then you know, had to pull the pin because things were getting worse. While I was trying to fix it, things were getting worse. It's a really horrible place to be in. And it's, it feels like that's quite common. I'm, I'm quite envious of those people that are really find it easy to moderate, right? Those people that can do Monday to Thursday without touching a drop and then just have a few at the weekend. And I myself found, you know, it's either, it's either kind of completely on or completely off. I find it quite easy to not drink at all. And I find it easy to drink heaps, but I find it really hard to drink um, in a kind of moderate way. I mean, is that, is that your experience that there's sort of, I don't know, those two types of people in the world? Yeah. And, I mean, my husband's one of them. He could open a bottle of wine, have a glass, and leave the rest of the bottle in the fridge for two weeks or leave half a glass at a restaurant, you know, when we're leaving dinner. And I'm like, who does that? Like, I would never do that. It's the strange thing about this drug is that it does, for a multitude of reasons, and it is complex, it does sort of get its claws into some people and pull them in. And so for me, once I had it, I had this intense pull towards more, 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 please. Um, and other people don't. And 
that's one of the hardest things in self-identifying you've got a problem is you desperately want to be one of the ones that can take it or leave it. And like I say, I just wasn't that person, so I had to pull the pin. You've talked a bit about how journalism is a fairly booze-soaked industry, and I wonder why that is. Like From the outside, journalism seems like quite a sober, intellectual kind of a pursuit. What is it about journalism that precipitates drinking, do you think? Well, it's high pressured and if you like I worked in television, so it was deadlines and adrenaline every day and excitement and you know, it's kind of cool and fun. You're a journo, you're kind of on the outside looking in, it's got that kind of attracts those personalities. But it's every industry, mate. Like lawyers are boozy, teachers are boozy, the addiction sector is boozy. I've been to the annual conference for the addiction sector in New Zealand. Lovely people working really hard. They have an awards dinner. It is a massive piss up, you know, because it's not a recovery conference. It's not people in recovery. It's people who work in addictions. It's all yeah. of society. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Everywhere wow. you go. I mean, tell me, is your industry boozy? Of course, yeah. I mean, are there any that aren't, do you think? Uh no, <laughs> but I don't no. know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a brain surgeon. Maybe, maybe surgeons aren't boozy. I don't, I don't know. But I just know that our drinking culture permeates all sectors, and yeah. you know, our society's gone just way too far in the direction of normalising and glorifying this drug. And no one is arguing that it should go because that's just stupid. And everyone has a right to do what they want to do. But we do need to pull back somewhat from this kind of saturated. Yeah you know, madness that we're living in because, yeah, too many people are being hurt. Yeah, they are. So part of your journey was starting your blog and kind of documenting what you were doing. And that obviously hit a really big nerve. And why do you think so many people responded in the way that they did? I think that what I discovered by writing about my journey, sorry to use that cliched. The J word. juicy. <laughs> <laughs> writing about my journey with alcohol, I discovered that I have an ability to articulate what's going on for me internally in a way that people can relate to. I'm not special what I'm doing or what I've done, but what puts me in this position now where this is my work and my life is the fact that I can articulate that stuff in a style that's easy to read and kind of people can relate to it. So, you know, that's one of the joys of my sobriety, and there are many, but one of them was unlocking this writing voice that I didn't know I had. And, yeah, people responding to it. And so now I get to be creative and write and at the same time help people, which is my main reason for doing everything I do. And that is quite an amazing kind of, yeah, let's not use the J word, quite an amazing kind of personal process to go through, right? Not only did you manage to depart from the problematic side of your drinking, but you actually discovered like a whole new path for yourself that is obviously incredibly fulfilling and enjoyable for you in terms of how you spend your days, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just... I just can't even think, What would, would I still be making TV shows if I hadn't got sober, which my heart wasn't really in, if I'm honest? Would I be, what would I, I mean, I just can't even imagine what I would be doing with myself. But yeah, now I've got this career that's sort of based around writing predominantly, but also helping people because I know how miserable it is to be stuck and confused and just feeling like shit and beating yourself up internally all the time. And I know what it's like. And I just want to drag people out of that darkness and say to them, you know, you can, you can, you can recover. 
Yeah, it's great. And I think that's one thing that's probably, I don't know, not talked about enough, really, which is when you kind of stop drinking or kind of cut back considerably, often these new opportunities sort of present themselves from out of nowhere, right? You've kind of like got a bit of a bit more of, I don't know whether it's like an open mind or a, a kind of, I don't know, you, fi- you find more kind of bandwidth or more space in your day and things kind of pop out that aren't the things that you necessarily expected, but um, but often present you with sort of amazing abilities to um, to kind of improve your life besides just the drinking and health aspect. That's and that's such a great way of putting it, James. I'm going to steal that bandwidth absolutely. You know, because all of that time that was spent drinking, recovering from drinking, planning drinking, thinking about drinking is freed up. But also, okay, I'm going to drop another cliched word, the A word. You discover authentically who you are, so you you can't help but settle into yourself a whole lot better. Like who I was when I was boozy, fun, party girl Lotta, that's still a part of me for sure, but I've dropped into more sort of authentically who I am. Other people, they get sober, they discover that they're really great potters and they make pottery. <laughs> I've got one girlfriend who got sober and she now has a business making little replicas of people's pets out of clay and sending them all around the country. They're amazing. Oh, that's just one example. But yeah, all, all manner of things open up. And But let's not you know gild the lily. It can be really hard work at first and you have to learn how to beat cravings. You have to learn how to socialize. You have to learn how to sit in discomfort which is really you know that was the hardest thing of all and and it is really uncomfortable at first so there's a bit of work that has to go on but once you push past that transition you can you can just open up your life yeah how long did that transition last for you I mean it was pretty quick for me I have to be honest I'd say it was certainly after a year I started seeing the possibilities. The thing that really worked for me in getting sober and leaving behind my sort of boozy persona was getting really curious about it. Like, it's the ultimate sort of fascinating process. And when I realised that it wasn't just about learning how to socialise and, you know, grow up, once I learned that it was about feeling emotions, discovering who I was and all of that. I just got really curious about it and that fueled me because I'm just a naturally curious person, I suppose. So, yeah, I often say to people, if you can bring that attitude of like, okay, this is really interesting. This is really interesting. Let's see where this goes. This is the ultimate fucking challenge, man. Like, I am up for it. Bring it on. And you bring that kind of energy, it can help get you through. But, yeah, I reckon after a year I was starting to – see some real benefits yeah it's kind of it's, it's almost like a form of self-journalism isn't it like if you like doing those things like which friends character am i <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like <laughs> it's it's that but in a completely kind of you know in a in a in a really kind of meaningful way sort of learning about yourself um and yeah i wonder if your kind of background as a journalist gave you the ability to look back at yourself more kind of objectively right like a journalist would um writing a story yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think that's fair to say. I'm, I've got that kind of that sort of intrigue and that sort of analytical part of me. Thank goodness, because it's what's carried me through. There's a great analogy as well about um, boozing. I don't know if you've heard this, but 
um, when you're living a kind of boozy, alcohol-filled life, it's like you're at a rock concert, right, but you're stuck at the back and you're in the crowd and it's noisy and you can only kind of see the band and you you need to go to the loo and someone spilled their drink on you and you want to have a good time but you're sort of a bit removed. Being sober is like standing in the front row and the speaker's right there and it's pounding in your chest and every guitar lick and every, you know, lyric is just coming right at you and it's, rah, it's like the ultimate experience, right? This is life. I mean, it's it's like bring it on and, you know, sometimes it really does hurt but once you go through some tough times sober and you come out the other side of it and you look back, you start to realise what a difference living that way makes and what you kind of learn and over time you just sort of settle into yourself and you just, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on but you, I've certainly, as you can tell, I've certainly gained so much from quitting alcohol. Not everyone needs to quit though, let's be honest about this. A lot of people drink and don't have any harm. You know, it's not, it's a weird drug in that way and some people can have a moderate, you know, time with it and that's all cool. But I do love that there is this movement now towards, you know, curiosity about, hmm, maybe it's not this all it's cut out to be. Yeah, and sort of being your complete self. We have this saying at AF Drinks that alcohol dilutes you, which is, you know, a really kind of, yeah, that's the way we sort of look at it and restricts your ability to kind of be complete yourself and experience things in a complete way. Yeah, I mean, it does. And if you just spend a bit of time with people who are drinking, you start to realise it's just not, they're just not quite there the same as if they weren't drinking. And it can be a little bit um, boring, dare I say it, sometimes being around people who are drinking all the time, but in short doses, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, I, I mean, that is one thing that you really do learn super quick, right, when you stop drinking is that, you know, about an hour and a half, two hours into the party, someone says something they've already said to you and um, <laughs> and you know that it's begun. <laughs> or they're laughing uproariously at some joke that just is not funny. And also, by the way, drinkers are smelly. Like, <laughs> my husband, he doesn't drink that much anymore, but he does, you know, and occasionally he'll have a sort of a biggish night. And he'll get into bed at the end of the night, and I'm like, dude, roll over. That is, ugh, <laughs> bare breath. <laughs> um, when you started your blog, um, you were anonymous, and you called yourself Mrs. D. And uh, I'm interested in why you kind of chose to be anonymous at, at, at that point. Well, mainly it was because I was just incredibly raw and just, terrified of what I was doing and I just wanted to protect myself you know and I and I genuinely didn't think anyone was going to read the blog I thought it was just going to be an anonymous thing but I was protecting myself and I wanted to be able to be really honest and not worry what anyone thought or you know um, their opinions or whatever Uh, also you know there is still a lot of shame and stigma around addiction although it has shifted in the 10 years since I quit drinking there's more of an acceptance now but back then yeah I mean I just I just wanted to hide yeah yeah and that's something that yeah, yeah certainly in the days before it became well as as sort of normal and uh, as it is becoming now thank heavens back in those days it was you, you sort of were looked at as perhaps a bit weird if you weren't drinking or perhaps a bit judgmental of those who were which you've certainly never you know, although you've been on, you know, something of a 
kind of crusade about this really uh, it's not one that sort of you know you you haven't sort of looked down your noses or been or been critical of people that are drinking no and the last thing i would want is anyone to feel uncomfortable drinking around me because you do you it's not it's not about anti-alcohol i'm not and i get it it's fun it's a great drug it works right mm. and as i mm. keep saying a lot of people can drink and not have a problem with it but um there is judgment, I suppose. I sort of, right from the get-go, even with when I was anonymously blogging, in my close circle of family and friends, I was very upfront right from the start and said I've quit because I can't control it. And so that took some of the heat out of people hassling me. Occasionally someone might say, oh, you used to be more fun, you know, when you were drinking or I miss drinking with you. And I just, they didn't know the reality. They weren't with me at three in the morning every morning that I woke up. They weren't with me at 11.30 on a Tuesday night when I was on my knees, vomiting into the toilet, trying to stay quiet so I didn't wake up the kids. Like, to be truthful, that's what the reality was. I knew it, and if they wanted to judge, I just had to not care because I knew why I was changing. And I think that's, I mean, something you said before about, you know, you're happy about people drinking around you and them doing them. I think that's something which is, is probably really important to popularise, the idea that if someone's not drinking, that's not, a, that's not a form of judgment about those who are. Actually, we can really happily coexist at the same party, right? Drinkers and non-drinkers. And, and there's, uh, there isn't that sort of, yeah, there's not that judgment. It's, it's fine kind of either way yeah absolutely and if you're someone that feels really uncomfortable with people who are around you who aren't drinking that might be and I'm not saying definitely but that might be a little indication that maybe you've got an inner dialogue that you're trying to ignore but there's some part of you that's maybe curious about what's happening for yourself so you know just in a gentle way maybe just examine that that's what I would say to people who felt that way mostly when people have hassled me it's usually they've been boozing pretty hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. Apart from being hassled at parties occasionally, have you had any sort of broader sort of pushback for your advocacy of not drinking? Are, are there people who, I don't know, who consider it a danger to our freedoms that we, you know, we have people advocating for not drinking or, or has it been all support? No, I've not, honestly. Um, because what freedoms are being taken away? Like... <laughs> There's no, no one's advocating for a removal of alcohol. That is stupid. <laughs> and, you know, like I say, do you, do you. Um, occasionally online, like under a stuff article, if they put it on their Facebook page, you know, those are the kind of Wild West areas you don't want to go into, those comment zones. But I was actually told by um, uh, one of the public health guys in New Zealand that the liquor industry employs people to push comments in those sorts of sections because they want there to appear that there's a pushback against change. But actually all the surveys that have been done by Health Promotion Agency and others show that most Kiwis are more than happy for regulations to change around things like marketing and availability um, in order to re you know, reduce some of the harm that's been caused in our community, which is so widespread. It is. And there's certainly yeah, very, in our research too, you know, very strong support. And I think sort of often kind of relief that there's even talk about changing our relationship in that kind of a way. And do you think that times have changed much between 2014 and now? I mean, how do you think the environment around drinking or not drinking now kind of differs from back when you uh, stopped drinking yourself? 
So I first quit in 2011, and back then, any event I turned up to, the only options they would have for me were water and orange juice. Like, seriously. Thick, thick orange juice. Like, who wants to drink that all night? Nowadays, you turn up and there's some lovely AF or elderflower something or a combo, you know, that. so just just purely on that level of being catered for, but also just the chatter, social media is full of much more sort of sober curious people and in the mainstream media there's far more articles about the reality of alcohol. It's definitely the tide is turning, I feel slowly, but it is starting to happen, which is just great. Yeah, it does, it certainly does feel that way and you know, part of even this podcast really is to kind of is to try and elevate those people that are changing their relationship with alcohol on the basis that if we know more people are doing it around us we're more likely to kind of consider it normal right and consider it something that's kind of cool to do um, as opposed to sort of being weird absolutely and I mean that's why it's so great and even products like yours being out and available it just shifts it just means that we can have more honest conversations uh, around this drug which it is I'm going to call it that because it's a blinking drug although you wouldn't know the way it's treated and yeah and just hopefully get to the point where we have an environment but the problem James with the environment we have at the minute other than all the harm that's being caused which is a biggie is that it really isolates people who are struggling so you know that feeling I said of me wanting to hide that's happening everywhere all the time now people are hiding their truth because they feel like they're the one that's bad or they're the one that's broken and so I'm advocating for change my heart is with the people who are struggling I want the change so that those people live in a world where it's easy for them to say I'm not having a good time with this and I need to change and we can wrap around them but people still so many people are hiding the truth of what's going on for them and that just breaks my heart that's not that's not nice, is it? And and do you think with all the kind of crazy going on in the world the last kind of two or three years, I guess in particular, is that making it easier or more difficult to kind of change your relationship with alcohol, do you think? Oh, I don't know what I don't know. Is it just me or is the world freaking falling apart? I wouldn't want especially America. I mean, I just have to keep reassuring myself I don't live there because <laughs> Yeah. Like the rolling back of women's rights, the gun problem, I don't know. But even the pandemic, you know, has a huge impact on people's mental health. Alcohol was ruled a, a um, what do you call it, um, essential item in New Zealand during the pandemic. It's so easy to get. You can have it delivered to your door. And when you're feeling, maybe you're feeling lonely, maybe you're worried, maybe you're stressed, all of those things, and there's that lovely liquid that does the job in the moment, right? In the moment, it does what we want. Why wouldn't you turn to it? So, yes, drinking definitely increased. Um, the liquor industry is laughing all the way to the bank, literally. They make so much money off us. And, yeah, it is harder for people. But, you know, against that, we have this rising discussion around being sober curious, the sort of honesty around the impact that this drug has on so many lives and yeah hopefully hopefully I'm I'm confident things will change yeah yeah well it's a, I mean I think in some ways the fact that the world is in a sort of tricky spot at the moment um, those people that are going to be able to navigate that the best and in fact help us get out of the sort of the, the troubles that we seem to be in are probably going to be the ones that 
like we were talking about before, have that sort of greater bandwidth, have that kind of ability to, um, you know, take on more because they've got slightly less alcohol in their system or slightly less of a kind of a blurry head. Well, that's right. They're not numbing themselves to how they're really feeling and also disconnecting themselves from themselves and everyone around them. That, that was one of the biggest surprises for me in getting sober. You know, I, I actually had a good life when I was boozing. I had a lovely husband, still got him, you know, same guy, uh, kids, friends, all the rest of it. And I thought everything was fine. But since I took the alcohol away and settled into myself, those connections are so much deeper and richer. Um, and I'm, I've got more capacity to also deal with their emotional landscapes, which, you know, we're all messy, glorious humans. <laughs> this everyone's on a roller coaster of life, but I've got more capacity to deal with that as well. So, you know, the ripples, the ripples really do go out, not just the person who's changed, but all the people around them. Mm, mm, they do. So what are you working on at the moment? Is there another book in the work, works? Is there more of this story to tell? At the moment, I'm an idiot. I'm actually studying full-time, doing two part-time jobs, and I've signed a new book contract. <laughs> wow. Busy. <laughs> That's why I was lying on the sofa watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, because I'm going to take my <laughs> relaxation when it comes. Um, the new book is, is a bit of a shift away from from alcohol to another industry that I'm outraged about. So that will be written next year. Um, mostly I work in the space of sharing my lived experience and doing peer support to try and help people. That's Like I said before, that's where my heart lies. Yeah, great. Well, we look forward to that. Um, so last question, the question that I ask all of our guests, what are you, especially in a world that's sort of a bit topsy-turvy, what are you most optimistic about for the world right now? All the good people. And there are so many. You've got to look for the good. That's what I tell my kids. Look for the good people. They're, they're in your street. They're in your neighbourhood. They're in your community. There are so many good people doing good things that really care, and we just have to have heart. I'm sure humanity's been through some tough times before, and we're going through it at the moment, but I'm optimistic for the future. Nice, nice. Got a cup high. And thank you um, very much for talking with me, Lotta. It's been really great having you on our podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. 